This is On Point, a podcast about bringing humanity to leadership communications. I'm your host, Andrea Lekashoff, President of Broadreach Communications. Today, I would like to welcome my colleague and Broadreach Vice President, David Scott, to On Point. David has more than 25 years of experience as a communications professional with a specialization in crisis communications, issues management, and transactions. He has managed high-profile client crises involving data breaches, executive terminations, third-party investigations, litigation, facility closures, community projects, employee deaths, labor disruptions, hostile takeovers, regulatory interventions, restructurings, and bankruptcies. He has worked with clients across Europe, Asia, and the Americas for leading organizations in energy, financial services, government, healthcare, manufacturing, professional services, resources, and utilities. David is also a veteran media coach, having worked with senior elected officials, CEOs, and board members to prepare them for challenging media interviews, community town halls, and legislative committee appearances. Earlier in his career, he held senior positions with large international PR agencies as practice lead of financial communications and corporate communications. David also led the proactive public relations team at Scotiabank, served as a senior advisor to the president of York University, and was a policy advisor to two Ontario cabinet ministers. David, welcome to On Point. Hi, Andrea. It's great to be here. So, David, tell me, what is the biggest mistake companies make during a crisis? Well, I would say it even starts before the crisis hits, and that's when a company doesn't think a crisis will ever actually happen to it. Uh, the lack of preparation, the lack of recognition of risk, the lack of thinking through what would we do to save our reputations and save our business is the biggest mistake companies make. And, you know, that, that's been confirmed uh, just recently by a PwC uh, survey where they found that 30% of Canadian companies don't focus on crisis preparedness. What do you think about that? I think it's shocking. Uh, I really do. It, it becomes, uh, like anything else for a company, uh, absolute fundamentals. For a company not to think about crisis is for not to think about its marketing or thinking about its finance or thinking about its product. It's core business and should be the attention of every single company. So if you do have advice for companies out there, how can they start to prepare for a crisis so that if, if one does hit and, and more often than not over the course of a company's history, something will happen, whether it's an issue or a crisis, you know, how can they see it more as an opportunity and emerge stronger? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say that it is starting with that recognition, starting with the recognition of what are our potential risks as a company, depending on what our business is. If we are data heavy and have a lot of information of customers, obviously cyber risk and cyber crime is a big, big risk that we could face. If you are in uh, financial services, is it fraud? If you're in manufacturing, is it industrial accidents? You can start to do that risk assessment. You can work with your team to start going through all the different operational risks you have, all the different financial risks you have, and then really starting to think through if these situations occurred, how would we communicate? And how would we communicate with effectiveness and speed to the audiences that mean the most to us? And those are our key stakeholders, our employees, our clients, 
the people who really matter to us. And why can't companies figure that out on the fly? I mean, you can't prepare for every crisis that's out there. What are the benefits of actually taking the time? And it does take time and it does take a lot of thought um, to really prepare well, but what are the benefits of doing that in advance? You're absolutely right that time and thought are absolutely what need to go into this. And if you don't do them ahead of time, you have to do them during the crisis. And as we know, as communicators, the online world is absolutely uh, the speed of light fast and companies need to be able to react and communicate within that time frame. Their news cycle is measured in seconds, not hours as it used to be. So the ability of companies to respond quickly and giving them the capacity to respond faster is really what a communications plan, a crisis communications plan is all about. And what's an example, just to illustrate this, of a company that perhaps took a little too long to respond? And we all know in, in, in communications that uh, silence is the new no comment, which really can be very damaging to a reputation. Do you have any examples of companies that took a little bit too long to respond and really paid the price for that? I would say that you look at examples of different companies that have waited to respond and quite often they wait to respond because they're still gathering information mm. and they're gathering information because they're trying to do their due diligence. They're trying to get all the facts rather than coming out with a preemptive statement, the ability to say, we're aware of what's happened. We're aware of the event. We're looking into it. Even taking that interim step is what a lot of companies fail to do. And I would say that the ability to think through the scenario of the cadence of communications, how and when we will communicate during a crisis, is absolutely vital. And where should that guidance be coming from? We, we've worked, uh, you and I, David, with so many companies over the years, and sometimes that guidance comes from communications. Often it will come from operations. It will come from a CEO. You know, what is the best approach in terms of being, bringing the best minds within a company together uh, to create those statements? How, how does that work? You really need to build that team. You really need to build that crisis response team and have that planned out. Uh, you've listed all the key people involved, and I would add legal, and I would add HR as well, because quite often a crisis will involve either legal risk or it will involve employee dynamics that need to be considered through HR. And that ability to adjudicate ahead of time and think through those scenarios ahead of time as a team, what would we say and how would we say this if this would occur, allows us uh, to have as a team working through that dynamic of what can we say, what information would we have. Let's assess the legal risk of our communication and the situation we're in, as well as the HR considerations. And that dynamic of having all those good minds working together ahead of time and then during the crisis is just going to provide a more comprehensive and a more confident response. So, David, what are the three things companies need to do to get ready for a crisis? As we talked about before, a company really needs to assess their risk. They really need to look right across the company uh, at all the different operational, employee, executive financial risks that they may face. And they really have to think very broadly because it's not enough to think about just what happens within the company. They have to think also what's happening in the social media environment. Andrea, uh, you and I have worked on uh, cases where companies have had to take action with yes. employees who've posted on social media outside of work on their own personal mm -hmm. accounts where things have been controversial. 
so a company has to really think about that in a very, very broad context of employee dynamics as well as their own dynamics. The second thing that companies need to do is they really have to uh, work with communications experts to really think through how we would respond, the way we would respond, and really build out all that material ahead of time so that as much as possible, the thinking, the uh, careful review, the approval has been done mm -hmm. so that when a crisis actually does occur, they're able to respond quickly and with confidence that they've evaluated the risk appropriately. And then the third thing I would say they need to do is they need to practice. They need to do simulations in a tested environment, working through how they would evaluate and communicate and monitor during a crisis, how the communication flow is occurring as new and contradictory and fast approaching information is hitting them from all different angles as it would during a crisis. So I think those three things really need to come together for effective crisis preparation. I couldn't agree with you more, David. And um, as you said, we've helped uh, many clients do just that, um, put those three things into action. What have you seen as resistance for doing that? Because it, it's it's very sound advice. Uh, companies will come up against issues or you know crises uh, throughout their entire sort of history. What is the resistance you're seeing out there to doing that? I'd say sometimes there's a resistance because of control. And uh, you and I work with C-level executives all the time. And yeah. these are very dynamic, uh, very successful, very smart, very driven individuals. That's why they're in the positions they are. And a crisis is about losing control. And mm -hmm. that's a very uncomfortable position for many people to be in. And the idea that in a crisis communications uh, situation, that a company story may be told by others is something that's very uncomfortable to a lot of executives. And convincing them that the story will be told with or without them. So better mm -hmm. to be in the story, driving the story, uh, at least bending it towards the narrative that you want is a much better situation and a much better outcome than simply absenting yourself because you don't think you have a role to play. True. We've been through so many situations where we've we've counseled just that. And at least having their perspective in a story is is better than not being represented. So what type of information do you typically advise clients to include in a crisis communications plan? I would say it starts with the, the team who's on the team, and it has to be a dedicated decision-making team that can come together quickly, that understands their roles and responsibilities, and will act just as that. They've rehearsed together. They understand the, the templated material that they have. They understand the resources that they have. The second thing is to actually have a crisis communications protocol. How will we communicate during a crisis rather than debating, should we put out a statement? Should we ignore this? Should we put forward a spokesperson? We've evaluated how and when we will communicate. What is our principle, our guiding principles around communication? And then the other aspect is actually being very comfortable with the material, being very comfortable with the resources that they have so that that is something that's easily accessed, uh, changed and updated depending on the, the facts that are coming in and the situation, so that there's a clear dynamic and there's a clear dynamic of roles, responsibilities, timing, expectations of delivery. And the team is, as you, as you were saying earlier, really coming together 
really strengthening uh, the response and in fact improving the reputation of the company which is the ultimate goal around a crisis situation, is not just simply to defend the reputation, but to actually enhance it. Can you give us some examples of companies that have done just that, really emerged from a crisis much stronger with a better reputation and perhaps have endeared themselves to uh, people's uh, hearts as a result of what they've gone through? Yeah, Andrea, that's a great question. Uh, I think the classic example is Maple Leaf Foods in Canada, where a uh, Listeria outbreak led to the death of some 23 people. And the company, Maple Leaf Foods, uh, didn't evade responsibility. They actually embraced responsibility. And that was the key thing that they did that made them successful, is they did not try to blame others. They did not try to blame their employees. They didn't try to blame the consumers. They actually questioned what they did, and they changed what they did, and they actually became a champion around food safety. And they actually changed packaging in this country. They changed uh, uh, the food industry for the better. And they actually, I would say, lifted their reputation because of this crisis response. And I think that's really the lesson for any company is understand the threat for the long term for your reputation. Because if you don't embrace responsibility and actually try to do better from this, you are going to lose your reputation and you're not going to be seen as the good company that a bad thing happened to. You're going to be the bad company that continues to do bad things. I love that, David. And in in that situation, which is really um, one for sort of the the case studies in in PR school and and one that I know that that we reference uh, quite frequently, um, it really is the case that, you know, had they prepared for a listeriosis outbreak, perhaps, perhaps they didn't. However, with a crisis plan, um, and we say this to clients all the time, at least if you have directional responses, it's it's a start. And it really just helps you deal with the crisis in the moment and at least pull your team together to respond more quickly. And the other example of that with Maple Leaf, just to keep on with this, uh, this train of thought, is that they made mistakes along the way. They made mistakes about information because they were trying to gather information about an unknown threat or very little understood threat. Uh, in the moment as they were proceeding. And that, again, is something that companies have to understand, that there is a fog that descends around a crisis. Limited amounts of information are understood. Limited understanding as to um, uh, what actually is going to occur and the different dynamics of information as it comes out. But that ability to respond and change and be nimble is part of crisis communications. It's not about getting it perfect. It's about continuing to improve until we get to the point of resolution. And being uncomfortable with that state of murkiness and fogginess and really just um, really doing the best that you can and, and almost in a way that humanizes the company and humanizes the company's leadership. When you reference McCain, you know, there was heartfelt messages uh, from uh, Michael McCain. He was uh, remorseful. He was uh, saddened. He was everything that you would want a leader to be. And I think that really, and we've seen that through COVID where um, there's, there's, there's been such a humanization of, of leaders um, that have uh, truly brought a company's culture and, and spirit and 
um, and, and really essence to life. And I think that's really important during a crisis. Yeah, I would build on that because it's such an important point. Uh, when you and I have done crisis simulations with companies, it actually puts the company's values on the line. Yes. And people actually understand where leadership is thinking. Yes. So to your point around Michael McCain, none of that was rehearsed. That was his genuine yeah. Yeah. concern, his genuine, authentic response to a horrible situation. Yes. And that's such an important signal to employees. It's such an important signal to customers. How is your true reaction on this? Michael McCain was not coming out worrying about sales and worrying about share price. He yeah. was worrying about the human condition. And that is such um, an important consideration in, in a crisis response is think about how you make it better first and foremost, and then worry about those other things afterwards. Because if you don't, you are going to lose support along the way. Agreed. Okay, David, what four steps uh, should companies take when they're managing a crisis? It really comes down to that first assessment of what's going on in the crisis. That's absolutely the first step. You're not going to know a lot. You may know very little, but you have had that escalation to you as a team to know that a crisis has occurred. The second thing is to really think about what we're going to say. What can we say now and in the moment? What is the most important thing we can get out, even if it's a case of just recognition that there is a crisis? If that's all you're saying, it's still important to say it. The third step is to actually evaluate who you need to speak to. You have to think about your audiences. You have to think about um, whether it's employees, customers, key partners, regulators, government, who are the people you need to get to with information. And then the final uh, step is to think about the channel. What's the best way to get this out? Are people actually visiting our website or do we need to proactively push information out to them? Do we need to call people? Do we have to have uh, town halls with employees? Do we need to uh, put out something on our social media channels? And then really think through that message and then consider what will be the next message that will come forward and what time will that occur? And I would say as you're talking to and you're communicating with your stakeholders is really evaluate how they're taking the news. Think about and assess what information they need. What information do they want? Because we're going to have to come back to them. We are going to have to communicate with them again during a crisis and make sure we're meeting their their expectations for new information and updates as they need it. And and in speaking with stakeholders, uh, one of the things we typically do uh, in developing a crisis plan is we hold a stakeholder mapping session. And I have certainly received questions from clients in terms of, well, why is that important? Um, how about I pass that question on to you? Why is that important, David? Yes, stakeholder mapping is such an important part of any kind of evaluation for how you communicate and to whom you communicate because no company is an island. We all have different stakeholders, whether it's employees, customers, supply chain, regulators. All of those different uh, voices and audiences may have a play in terms of our ongoing reputation. So thinking about how we assess those different stakeholders, whether they are supportive of us or potentially not supportive of us, and also what degree of influence they have. Uh, Obviously, a government or a regulatory audience is extraordinarily influential because they may have control over our license to operate. Individuals, uh, people who may comment may have less influence. It doesn't mean they should be ignored, but we need to evaluate where those risks are. So really thinking about our stakeholders as our allies and on the other side, potentially our detractors. 
and then thinking about how do we mitigate the detractors and how do we amplify our allies so that they have the information, they have the ability to uh, validate what we're saying or endorse what we're saying in their response to the crisis as it occurs. And one of the things I like about doing that in advance is that um, you have the time and you have the team's sort of time to come together and develop a full stakeholder map so that no stakeholder is left behind or forgotten during a crisis, which could be uh, uh, really important and could provide some risks if you are not communicating with, as you said, the regulator or not communicating with a significant investor. Um, it really just helps lay them all out so that you are communicating with, with all your key stakeholders. Absolutely. And and that's so important, especially in a social media environment where there's so much information that's flowing through. And uh, on a crisis that we worked on uh, in speaking to the board, I recall speaking about the social media uh, chatter that was going on and really helping the board understand that there were people who were against what the board was doing, against what the board was saying as a position, but he, being able to uncover and understand that those stakeholders were actually investors who were hoping that the price would go down of the share mm. price was really important for the board to understand. But being able to evaluate who those players were ahead of time gave them the confidence that they knew what they were doing, the confidence that the plan around communications was sound and that we were on the right track. Great. David, do you see any industries out there that are particularly vulnerable right now, given today's uh, health and racial pandemics? I would say that there are so many industries that are at risk and primarily those that obviously are regulated by government or receive their funding from government mm -hmm. are going to be held to uh, new and more restrictive standards, especially on their board composition, the composition of their leadership teams, uh, any um, uh, service delivery models that they have where they are potentially not serving uh, vulnerable communities as mm -hmm. effectively as they should. And then I would say that um, when you look at the financial services industry, it's made a lot of commitments in the past year around uh, racialized groups and responding to uh, communities that have been hit particularly hard by the COVID pandemic. That also is going to be uh, another area of vulnerability because as we get uh, more than a year into the pandemic and more than a year since the George Floyd murder, we are going to see the questions come back to say, what have you done in this year? Yes. And I think that that accounting is going to potentially uh, bring other companies into crisis because they haven't responded and they haven't responded as completely and as, um, uh, and as vigorously as a lot of those communities expected and demanded. Really good point. Uh, so David, any final comments or uh, words of wisdom or advice for our listeners? I, I think that crisis is something that every company needs to embrace. I think that they have to understand that it, it's a cliche, but it's not if a crisis is going to happen, it's when a crisis is going to happen. Because a crisis happens when you wake up one morning and it's already there. It's in your executive suite and you have to respond to it. And the ability to, to work with trusted partners, uh, whether it's Broadreach Communications or other great firms, I think that's the important thing to really think about. Who are going to be my trusted partners during a crisis and how can I best prepare today for what may happen tomorrow? 
Well said. Well, David, thank you for uh, joining me today. Always a pleasure and uh, truly appreciate your expertise and insight. Thank you so much. Thanks, David. Bye. This podcast was produced by Broadreach Communications. I'm Andrea Lekashoff, and thanks for listening. For show notes and additional resources, visit brpr.ca forward slash podcast.